The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. Amen. Well, it does our hearts good to praise the name of the Lord our God, doesn't it? Well, just before we begin our sermon this morning, I want to give you a quick outline of what to anticipate in the days ahead for our church. So this morning we're going to be in Psalm chapter 42, where we will be talking about God's help for the dark days. Next week we're going to be talking about how we pursue racial reconciliation within the church and how we should seek multi-ethnic unity within this body. And then on the 22nd, we're going to talk about the sanctity of life, how God cares about the life of the unborn and how God cares about the life of the born. We're going to look at how we should be pro-life from cradle to grave. And then after that, on the 29th, I am excited. We will begin a series through the book of Ephesians. In, in, In the book of Ephesians, through our series with that, it will take us through most likely through the end of June, maybe a little bit into July. And so buckle up, get ready. We will be working through the book of Ephesians together here very soon. With that being said, we are now a couple days, I I apologize, a couple weeks out of the holiday season. And so for some, holidays represent a joyful and a very full time. For others, though, it represents a very painful and lonely time time. For some people after the holidays, uh, maybe some of you have entered into what is known as the post-holiday blues. Maybe you're there and you don't even know it. So what is this? The post-holiday blues, it refers to the short-term feelings that individuals experience after the holidays, including sadness, loneliness, fatigue, disappointment, sluggishness, mental distress, or even dread of the upcoming winter months. The days are shorter, the nights are longer, and maybe that is even metaphorical for your own life right now. One article put it this way, it said, The holidays offer most people a time to focus their energy on the task of decorating, baking, planning, and gift giving. But after the holidays are over, people may maybe feel lost or empty without having a goal-driven activity to help them focus. Now, we don't know exactly what causes these post-holiday blues. It might be Due to the the reminder of of losing a family member, maybe a a seat was empty at the table this year. Maybe it's not being able to see family. Maybe you hear of other friends who had these big family gatherings and yet you weren't able to. Maybe it's the financial strain as a result of the holidays. But sometimes it's just caused by the overall exhaustion that the holiday season causes within us. So for some of you, you may be dealing with the post-holiday blues. But, but maybe for some, it's not the holiday blues that has you down, but it's something in your life. It's a season of, you, you are in a season of sadness, sorrow, or depression. Maybe it's strained relationships. Maybe it's health problems, anxieties, fears, feeling overworked or overwhelmed or underappreciated. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's a season of sin where you're running from the Lord. For some of you, you are now in a season 
of suffering. It's been said before that that really because of the fall of the world, there are three types of people. Those who have just ended suffering, those who are in a season of suffering, and those who will soon enter into a season of suffering. Maybe, maybe something is just off within you. There's a general malaise or, or a spirit of, of an old word, melancholy. Maybe there's a spirit of melancholy within you. And you can't pinpoint the reason why you are down. Well, as Christians, how do we respond during these times of discouragement, despondency, and maybe depression? Do we just will ourselves out of this season? Do we disingenuously recover it with the phrases of, Amen, brother, God is good. Or do we, do we use a sanctified version of chin up, buttercup? How do we respond to these seasons of despondency? How do we respond when we don't feel the nearness of God's presence? When you feel that God is distant or that maybe he has abandoned you? Or when you feel that the darkness will not lift and that it is indeed closing in on you? While it is true that depression can be caused by personal sin, we see that in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, many times it's a result not of personal sin, but it's a result of living in a fallen world. Just like how our bodies experience illness at times, yes, sometimes caused by personal sins of laziness, maybe gluttony, lack of self-control, but many times those illnesses, they're not caused by personal sins, they're just caused by the corruption in the world due to the presence of sin. Well, so too with our bodies, it is true also with our brains. Sin's corruption of the world has not only severed our relationship with God, not only has it caused physical ailments within our bodies, but it has also caused and it has affected chemical imbalances within our brains. So sometimes, yes, we can link our, link our discouragement, our despondency, our depression to personal unrepentant sin but other times like in our text this morning we ask the question why are you downcast oh my soul and why are you in turmoil within me why am i feeling this way i believe in psalm chapter 42 this is where we will be this morning in psalm chapter 42 god gives us a roadmap for how we are to respond during these melancholy seasons how we respond in a way that is honest in a way that begins to restore us in a way that brings god glory in psalm 42 we see that god has provided help for our dark days and so maybe maybe this morning maybe you are not in a season of suffering maybe you the the darkness has passed over you maybe you are in brighter and better days and if that's true I want this sermon to serve you in two ways. To lead you to empathy for your brothers and sisters who are in those seasons. And then also to lead you to humility. Because it's often, those seasons are often, like I said, not a result of something we have done. But it's God's providence, his providence working in and through our lives. That being said, let's read Psalm chapter 42. The psalmist says this, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My, pant, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? 
My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throngs and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you downcast on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Father, we pray this morning that you would provide help for us, help from your word, help that would lead us to hope, not in ourselves, not hoping in our situations, but hoping in our unchangeable God. So meet with us, we pray now. Holy Spirit, come and do your work of encouraging, of convicting, of challenging, and of being the lifter of our heads. We pray all this for Christ's sake and in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, first we see the darkness, right? We see the darkness in Psalm 42. Read with me verses 1 and 6 where the psalmist says this, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. And then he would say later on that my soul is cast down within me. Well, notice in verse one, that word pants. The psalmist uses this word to describe, he uses the analogy of a deer that is stranded in a desolate place where there is no water in sight. There's a sense of dire desperation. That if the deer doesn't get water soon, it's going to perish. It's as if you can hear the deer saying, it's panting for water. The psalmist, again, he uses this analogy to convey a situation of serious urgency. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, my God. The psalmist's life, it was so wrapped up with with, with being in and enjoying the presence of God. Now, when God's presence was veiled from him, it was, as, it was as if his life went out from him. His soul was parched. It was because of the unquenchable thirst and longing and desperation for God. Now, some of you may, may have seen the movie Lone Survivor. Um, if not, um, and if you are a fan of war movies, um, I, I encourage that one to you. It, it, it's a true story based on a group of four Navy SEALs who go out on a reconnaissance mission in Afghanistan. However, their their mission doesn't go according to plan, and they go from being the hunter to being the hunted. Tragically, spoiler alert, uh, tragically, three of the four Navy SEALs lose their life during this mission. But a man named Marcus Luttrell survived. And so during an interview later on, 
after the fact, Marcus recounts the harrowing events of his escape, how he was shot at multiple times, how he fell down multiple mountainsides, and how he broke his back in multiple places and in other parts of his body. Yet he also talked about how day after days of crawling on his hands and feet through the mountainside, he became incredibly thirsty. He was parched. He, he said this, quote, There's an insanity that goes with thirst. I was so thirsty that I was willing to kill anything to get water. Nothing would quench the thirst that I had. But then I got to the top of this ridgeline and I saw a waterfall and I started to take off and I started sliding down the mountain. I I flipped upside down into that water, knocking myself unconscious. So this is the type of thirst that the psalmist is referring to. It's not a thirst you have after not having water for a few hours. It's a thirst that your very life depends upon the water you crave. So I want to ask you, does your soul crave, long, and thirst for God's presence? Or maybe have you grown accustomed and contented without the nearness of God? The Lord, are you like the psalmist at times when when you don't feel God's nearness? Are you discontent with anything but drinking deep of the flowing streams of the living water? Does your soul say, I want nothing else. I need nothing else. I must have nothing else but the living God. Is your soul, your spiritual vitality, your joy, your vibrancy, is it found in the life of God? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? It's your heart's desire to have nothing more and nothing short of the living God. Does your soul after God? When you go through a season of life and you don't experience God's nearness, do you, do you, do you maybe just shrug it off and, and keep going? That you know it, It'd be nice if God were near, but no big deal if he isn't. Or is he the center and the source of your life? That when you don't experience his nearness, it leads you to tears like the psalmist. It leads you to pleading with the Lord. Do you say along with Jacob, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Does your soul after the Lord? Do you have an unquenchable thirst for his presence? Are you willing like the psalmist in Psalm 42? To if necessary, if necessary, I will suffer seasons of discouragement. I will suffer a season of despondency, of distress, and even depression. If it means at the very end of it, I get God himself. Hear me, I'm not saying that these seasons of discouragement are prerequisites to experiencing God's presence. There are many times when in God's mercy, he meets us in seasons of spiritual joy and spiritual prosperity and spiritual health. But my question to you is this. When the spiritual joy, when that prosperity, when that health fades away, when it's veiled from you, what do you do? How do you respond? Well, this is where the psalmist finds finds himself this morning. And if you are a Christian, this is likely where you have been at one point, maybe where you are right now, or inevitably, it's where you will be one day when you feel as though maybe God has hidden his face from you. 
when you pant for God, when you thirst for him, when your tears are your food day and night, when you are downcast and in turmoil within yourself, how do you respond? Well, this morning we will see that the psalmist shows us three ways we respond during this season of spiritual depression and discouragement. First, we look back. Secondly, we look up. And then finally, we look within. First, we look back. And so the first way we respond to the darkness in our soul is by looking back. Look at me in verses 4 and verse 6, where the psalmist says this, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. And then he would recount God's past faithfulness. And again, he says this, Therefore, I remember you. In my present situation, I will choose to remember you. Listen, when you do not feel the present nearness of God's presence, remember God's past faithfulness to you. When you don't feel his present nearness, remember his present faithfulness. Remember those moments when God met with you, when you spent time in sweet fellowship and communion with him in his word and in prayer. Remember those moments of corporate worship when the Lord was especially near to you. Remember how God answered your prayers, how he has done that throughout the years. Remember how he has used you to serve your church and to advance his kingdom. God has been faithful. He is faithful and he will be faithful to you. Remember the good news of the gospel. That what Christ has done 2,000 years ago, he said what? It is finished. And you rest safe and secured in his finished work. Remember that in his death, we died to sin. In his resurrection, we were raised to newness of life. And remember all the benefits that Christ has purchased for you. That you have been forgiven. You've been reconciled to God. You've been accepted in his sight. You've been adopted into his family. And that he is now your heavenly father. And you are his true son and true daughter. And that God is now your friend. His favor rests upon you, even though your situation may may lie and say otherwise. The truth remains. His favor rests on you. And that though you're once far off, you have been brought near by the blood of Jesus's cross. So remember what happened 2000 years ago. And then remember when Jesus saved you, when you were brought from death to life. Remember the peace. Just remember right now with me, the peace that flooded your soul that day. The joy that filled your heart and the new life that billowed throughout your entire being. When you realize, I'm forgiven. I've been forgiven. Praise be to God. I am forgiven. And remember that the one who began a good and work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That no one and no thing, not even your present state of spiritual depression, nothing can snatch you out of Jesus's omnipotent and nail pierced hands. And so when the tempest blows and it will, trust me, if it hasn't already, it will. Even when the waves threaten to suck you under, remember that you are eternally safe and you are eternally kept in the hands and in the care of the good shepherd. When we go through seasons of spiritual discouragement, when we don't feel the nearness of the Lord, the psalmist instructs us to look back and to remember the wonderful works of God. 
When we don't remember his present nearness, we remember his present faithfulness. For he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, church. And this then leads us to our second response. When we encounter those dark days, we look back, yes, but, but more importantly also, we look up. Read with me verse, verses 7 through 9, where it says this, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All, all your breakers and all your waves have gone out over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Notice with me in verse 7 how the psalmist describes the waterfalls, the breakers, and the waves. Which pronoun does he use there? Your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves. And so the first way we look up is by trusting in God's sovereignty over your situation. Listen, God is not scurrying around frantically in heaven trying to put out all the fires at the fall, the entrance of sin into our world started. Our God never reacts. And so listen, if they are God's waterfalls, if they are God's breakers, and if they are God's waves, and they are, that seem to go over you and threaten to take you under, then trust that it is God's sovereign hand who is ordaining and orchestrating this painful providence for your ultimate good. That's what we believe when in Romans 8, 28, we know for those who love God, what? All things, prosperity and pain, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. William Cowper, he, he was a, a hymn writer of the past. He himself suffered significant seasons of deep depression. But he wrote this hymn. God moves in mysterious ways. And I just want to read parts of it for you. He says this. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He treasures up his bright designs. And works his sovereign will. You fearful saints fresh tur- courage take. The clouds you mo- so much dread are big with mercy and shall break and blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Listen, trust that God is sovereign and that he is working in your season of suffering and pain. And that though the bud of this season may have a bitter taste in due time, whether in this lifetime or when you get to heaven, you will see and you will understand God's sovereign purpose in your suffering to bring out a greater and an ultimate good for you. So I just want to encourage you in the meantime, trust that one day sweet will be the flower. Notice also with me, Verse 7, that phrase, deep calls to deep. Well, today it marks the 67th anniversary of Jim Elliott's martyrdom. Some of you may know that name, Jim Elliott. He was a, a well-known uh, missionary uh, in, in the 20th century who served in Ecuador among the Quechua people. 
And though he served among this Quechua people, he had a deep-seated, God-given desire to reach the Aka tribe with the gospel of Jesus. Now, the Aka tribe, they were notoriously known as barbaric, savage people. That's what the word Aka literally means. In that Quechua language, it means savage. These people were hardened to the gospel, to say the least. But Jim Elliott and four other missionaries were determined to share and to proclaim the gospel with them. So they started this work in, in 1955. And then finally, on January 3rd, 1957, they were able to land their plane on a sandy beach close to the Aka village. So for the next few days, they made some contact with a few of the Aka people, and they were hopeful at the prospects of building long-term relationships with this village and with these violent people. But then on January 8th, 67 years ago to the date, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCauley, Peter Fleming, and Roger Rudarian were speared to death on a sandbar called Palm Beach in the Curie River of Ecuador as they were trying to reach the Aka Indians for the first time in history with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so when Jim Elliot, when he died, he left behind his wife of three years, Elizabeth, and their 10-month-old daughter. Later on, when reflecting on her husband's death, Elizabeth Elliot said this, I always regarded the death of my husband, Jim, as the worst possible thing that could happen. But you know what? When the worst thing you could ever imagine happens, there is something that was not, that was not there in your imaginings. And that was the grace of God. Oftentimes it is during the darkest of days. It is in our moments of greatest suffering and pain when we experience the greatest depths of God's mercy and his grace and his presence. And though those dark days are filled with unspeakable grief, when sorrows like sea billows roar, we are still able to say, it is well with my soul. Because God walks through those seasons with us. And he reveals himself to us in ways we wouldn't otherwise have known. John Bunyan, he, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, he said this, Dark clouds bring waters when bright ones bring none. David said this in Psalm 119, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Paul, Paul would put it this way. That when he was afflicted with the season of suffering, when, that though he pleaded three times, right? This, the all famous passage, when he pleaded three times for the Lord to remove the thorn that was in his flesh, Jesus responded to him by saying what? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, Jesus is saying that Paul, your pain, it's purposeful. Because through the pain and because of the thorn, you, Paul, will experience my grace and my power in a way you hadn't before. Deep calls to deep. It is in the depths of our suffering when we experience the depths of God's mercy and grace, if we look to him. So again, church, I want to encourage you to trust in God's sovereignty in your suffering. Trust that he is a loving father who is working all things together for your ultimate good. Everything in your Christian life will change when you begin not only to believe in God's sovereignty, 
Not only to submit to God's sovereignty, but when you begin to rejoice through pain in the sovereign workings of God in your life. Both the prosperous providences and the painful ones as well. So the second way, first way we look up is by trusting in God's sovereignty. The second way we see is by testifying to God's love. Read with me verse 8 where the psalmist says this, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. Because God commands his steadfast love by day, we can praise his steadfast love in the night. Listen, sometimes the only way we can make it through the darkest of nights is by singing our way through them. There have been so many times in my own soul when I I have been distressed that it, it has only been through praising God's name through singing that I have been pulled out of the miry pit. When we sing in this way from the depths of our souls, we're both praising God and through song, we're preaching to our own souls. And the psalmist He understood this connection with singing and deliverance all too well because we learn from the heading. Look at with me the heading, uh, which maybe you don't uh, pay attention to. But who wrote this psalm? He was a son of Korah. Now, a little quick history, biblical history lesson. The Korahites were Levitical priests in the temple whose sole job was to sing to the Lord. And we see an example of this in 2 Chronicles Chapter 20, verse 19. And so the psalmist understands the power that singing can have. That it has a way to refresh and to reorient our souls in in ways that other forms of instruction cannot. Because singing, it engages our, our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Our entire being is simultaneously engaged when we sing. And that's why God commands us all throughout his word to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs it's a way for us to bring glory to god and it's a way for us to minister to our own souls when we sing one of the greatest and most powerful tools available to us when we are panting when we are thirsting when we are longing for god's presence is to sing to the living god so we so we trust god's sovereignty we testify to his love through singing and finally we turn to god in prayer Read with me verse, last part of verse 8 and then verse 9. He says this, A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? I don't, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I know that I need to pray, but I just don't have the words to pray. My burden is so heavy. My, my pain is so palpable. My sorrow is so, it seems so suffocating that I don't even know what to pray. I don't have words. And maybe you found yourself in that same situation as well. Romans 8, 26, it tells us that in, it is in these moments when the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We, we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There's one time when, when I received some very disturbing and distressing news about some people I love very much. And after hearing the news, I fell to my knees and I just uttered a breath of prayer before God. No words. It was just a breath. And listen, church, God met me there. Because the Holy Spirit spoke for me even when I couldn't. He interceded on my behalf with groanings too deep for words. 
And so maybe that's where some of you are right now. You know you need to pray. Your soul is distressed, but you just can't bring yourself to pray. And if that's you, I encourage you just to still yourself before the Lord, to quiet yourself before him, and then let the Holy Spirit do his work of interceding on your behalf, of speaking when you cannot speak yourself. Others of you, though, you know the words to say in prayer, and they sound something like this. Why have you forgotten me, Lord? Maybe, maybe there's bitterness within your soul. Maybe you are like uh, Naomi in the book of Ruth, when, when he said, when, where she says, my soul has turned into bitterness against the Lord. Here, the psalmist shows us that we are able to bear our heart out before the Lord in private prayer because he already knows our thoughts. He already knows the feelings of our hearts anyway. I once heard someone say that if we complain about God, it is a sin. But if we complain to God, it is a psalm. Listen, why would you intentionally keep symptoms from your doctor if you're trying to get better? This is why 1 Peter 5, 7 commands us to cast your anxieties on the Lord. It doesn't say in a dignified way, please make a bullet point list of the concerns you may present before God. and Get, get it on the agenda before you meet with God. No, it says, cast your anxieties on the Lord. Pour out your heart before him. Get alone with God and bear your burdens with him. I think it's often true. I know it's true of myself at times, right, that we are more prone to recite our problems to others or to rehearse our problems with ourselves rather than to cast our problems on the Lord in prayer. So go to him in prayer. In wordless prayer, if needed, or in honest prayer to him. So we look back, we remember God's faithfulness, we look up, we trust his sovereignty, we testify to his love, we turn to him in prayer, and then finally, this morning, we look within. Read with me verse 5, and then verse 11 repeats the same refrain. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. So only after we have done the first two things, look back and remember God's faithfulness, look up and trust in him. Only after doing those two things, we are then to look within. Not not to puff ourselves up with positive thoughts, but to fill ourselves with gospel truths. And so we look within, the psalmist tells us for two main reasons. First, to preach the gospel to ourselves. And then secondly, to reorder our hopes. In our text, the psalmist, he's not quite sure why he feels the way he feels, right? He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? He knows something's wrong, but he can't pinpoint it. And so often this is true of us too. We we aren't quite sure what the triggers are for our discouragement or maybe our spiritual depression. Well, in his very helpful book, Christians Get Depressed Too. And if, and if you find yourself in a season of life where, that, where that's true, I highly encourage that book too. It's short, it's very readable, and it's extremely helpful. Christians Get Depressed Too. Pastor David Murray talks about how many times the triggers for our discouragement and our depression, they begin with our thought life, with what he calls false thought patterns. Proverbs 23, it tells us that as a man thinks 
In his heart, so he is, right? Our entire inner life follows our thought life. Our thoughts are the source, the fountainhead for everything that flows from us. So in his book, uh, David Murray, he gives 10 false thought patterns. I'm not going to read all 10 to you. Don't worry. Uh, But I only want to share a few uh, that that might be true of you. And then I'm going to show you how do we apply the gospel to these false thought patterns. So, So one false thought pattern he calls is he calls it false extremes. He, he, he talks about the tendency to evaluate personal qualities and extreme black and white qualities. And maybe an example of this is you make a mistake. And then what's your response? I'm a total failure. Or maybe you struggle with false, what he calls false fortune telling. We feel so strongly that things will turn out so badly that our feelings based prediction seem to already be an established fact. We, we expect something to be catastrophic and the expectation itself produces hopelessness and helplessness within us. Maybe, maybe an example of this, maybe you feel sure that you'll always be depressed and you'll never feel better again, despite the evidence that almost everyone recovers from that state, right? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Or maybe you, you, you struggle with a false feelings-based reasoning that when you take your emotions as the truth and you let your feelings determine the facts of your life, An example of this, you feel as though you are useless and therefore you conclude that you are useless. You feel as though you are unforgiven and you therefore conclude you are unforgiven. You feel that you aren't near to God and you conclude therefore God has distanced himself from me. And finally, one one final uh, uh, example of this is the false thought pattern of false responsibility. This is when we assume false responsibility and we blame ourselves for a negative outcome even when there is no basis for this. An example of this might be when, uh, a trivial example might be when your child doesn't get excellent grades and therefore you conclude, I'm a horrible mother or father. Or when your child rebels against the Lord, that despite everything you humanly could do to raise them to walk with the Lord, and you blame yourself and you say, it must be my fault. So what do we do when we think these false thoughts? Well, we stop listening to ourselves and we start preaching to ourselves. We apply the power of the gospel to every one of these false thought patterns. So for the false extremes, we tell ourselves, yes, I may have made a mistake, but I am still perfectly accepted in the beloved. For the false fortune telling, we tell ourselves, whatever may come my way, I know that God is for me, that heaven awaits me. And so that whatever may happen, God will work it all out for my ultimate good. For the false feelings-based reasoning, we say, soul, live not according to the fleeting and fickleness feelings of your heart. For your heart, it deceives you. Set yourself on the solid ground of truth and remember your identity and who you are in Jesus Christ. And for those thoughts of false responsibility, we tell ourselves that we serve an absolutely sovereign and omnipotent God who controls the winds and the waves by his very word. So we can entrust our burdens of responsibility into the care of our Savior. Robert Murray McShane, he said this, For every one look at yourself, take ten looks to Christ. It is good for us to examine ourselves, but after doing so, we, we are to set our sights on Jesus. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God. And I will end with this. 
The final way we look within is that we reorder our hopes very quickly. You know that the psalmist, he doesn't hope in himself. He doesn't hope in his situation because as the psalm ends, does, does his situation change? No, his situation remains the same. But what does he do? He hopes in his God. He was confident, not, not that his situation may change, it may or it may not, but he was confident that his faithful God, he will never change. When the darkness comes, when we don't feel the nearness of God's presence, what do we do? How do we respond? We look back, we remember God's faithfulness. We look up, we trust in his sovereignty. We testify to his love. We turn to him in prayer. And then we look within. We preach the gospel to ourselves. And we reorder our hopes accordingly. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil with me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation, and my God. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, I pray now that you would do the work that I cannot. I pray that you would meet with your people, with your children right now. That if they're enduring a season of suffering, of pain, of discouragement, that you would be the lifter of their countenance that your presence would be near to them. And Father, I pray for all of us that you would renew within us this year a deep thirst, a deep desire, a deep panting after you. You are our Lord. We have no good apart from you. Whom have we in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth we desire besides you. So I pray that you would make that true for our church. Be with us now, we pray. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.